Are you looking for more ways to learn about military and veteran culture? Are you a mental health professional or public health professional without lived experience in the military, but find yourself working with veterans? Are you a caregiver or a family member of a veteran? Then you might be interested in a series of books that have been released with you in mind. By going to veteranmentalhealth.com forward slash books, you can check out three books that give you an insight into veteran mental health from a combat veteran perspective. These books are a collection of short, consumable essays that discuss a wide range of topics related to mental health and wellness in post-military life. Head on over to veteranmentalhealth.com forward slash books and check them out for yourself or follow the link in the show notes. Welcome to episode 70 of the Headspace and Tommy podcast, a show brought to you by the Change Your POV podcast network. Today, I have a conversation with mental health counselor and military family member Shara Ruffin. In this episode, Shara shares her experiences as a military child, a military spouse, how veteran mental health impacts the family, and how the family impacts veteran mental health. Here's a quick preview of what you'll hear in this episode. Then we'll hear a quick word from my pal Eddie Lazary for a very special promo. Then we'll get into the show. Five years later, and I look back and I'm like, oh, thank God I, I didn't stop trying to reach out to someone, clinician, but initially I had those thoughts of when I first went to to treatment was, is this lady going to think I'm crazy? Like all those feelings that, you know, patients get, you know, is this the right, am I supposed to be doing this? And for me in my culture, I'm an African-American woman is, is I shouldn't be telling my business to anybody. And that thought process kept me in an emotional prison, literally an emotional prison with that type of irrational thought process at the time. But that was also symptomatic to the postpartum depression and anxiety I was feeling on top of my husband not being there. Have you ever experienced a crazy look by someone after you've shared a combat story? Or do you know someone that served in combat and can't help but wonder at the state of their sanity? Well, then you've got to check out this fantastic new book by Dwayne France called Combat Vet Don't Mean Crazy, Veteran Mental Health in Post-Military Life. When it comes to veteran mental health, there are some preconceived notions about what it means. After over a decade and a half of sustained combat operations and a high operational tempo, the topic of veteran mental health has emerged into the public's consciousness. People are asking and they want to know. This book is a collection of articles that first appeared on the Headspace and Timing blog, which can be found at VeteranMentalHealth.com. This book covers topics such as raising awareness about psychological impact of military service, developing personal awareness of the need for veteran mental health, developing resilience to recover, developing skills to apply to our post-military life, personal satisfaction after the military, the importance of remembrance, and a whole lot more. So head on over to changeyourpov.com forward slash resources and check out Combat Vet Don't Mean Crazy. Again, that's changeyourpov.com forward slash resources. Welcome to the Change Your POV Podcast Network. You're listening to Headspace and Timing, a show dedicated to breaking down the stereotypes about veteran mental health. My name's Dwayne France, and I'm a combat veteran of both Iraq and Afghanistan. After I retired from the Army, I took on a new mission as a clinical mental health counselor for my fellow service members. If you served in any branch of the military, you're familiar with the M2 machine gun, the 50 cal. It's one of the most effective weapons in the military's arsenal. If the weapon's headspace and timing wasn't set right, however, it was just a huge useless chunk of metal. Veterans can be rendered inoperable if their headspace and timing isn't set correctly either. 
That's my goal with this show, to change the way that we think and talk about federal mental health and reduce the stigma against seeking support. Each week, we'll talk with mental health professionals, veterans, and those who support veteran service members and their families. We're going to have real and honest conversations about a topic that most just don't like to talk about, veteran mental health. Let's jump into this week's conversation. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Headspace and Timing podcast. Once again, and as always, we really appreciate you taking the time to listen to us and find out more about uh, veteran mental health. Uh, and even beyond just veteran mental health, uh, military mental health. Uh, and as you'll see today, uh, family member mental health. Uh, as my guest today uh, has said in, in some of the conversation we had before this, um, that, uh, that it's often an overlooked aspect of, uh, of mental health uh, is the spouse and the child of the service member, uh, which uh, I'm really excited to have my guest on today to talk about those things. Uh, as a clinician herself, but also as a child and a former spouse of a military service member. Uh, so I'd like to welcome to the show, Shara Ruffin. Shara, hello. Hi, how are you? I'm I'm doing well. Before we get started, let's go ahead and have you uh, tell the, the audience a little bit about yourself and your background. Sure. So I am a licensed social worker, currently in training to be a licensed clinical social worker. Um, my aspirations is really to work directly with veterans, hopefully in a VA uh, community health center or in that setting. Um, I've been in the field for a little over 10 years. I've been licensed at the state level and doing psychotherapy for the last five years. Um, I am currently working in an outpatient setting, treating uh, long-term mental illness, chronic as well as working with higher functioning individuals that's just coming out of hospitalization, um, acute level care, as well as outpatient care, individual and group counseling, grief counseling, um, military counseling, um, trauma work, as well as mindfulness meditations. Those are my other specializations. Um, so that is my background. I'm also a former military spouse. Um, I was with my husband for about three years before we decided to call it quits. Um, before that, my military experience goes pretty far in terms of my father was in the Navy for a couple of years uh, when I was very young. It was like in the early 90s. And his father was also in the Army. And I do have a lot of family members that are still active duty now. A lot of my uncles are on both sides, my mother and my father's side. So it goes pretty far, and I really wanted to – I'm glad you reached out to me. I really wanted to share that aspect that's pretty hidden from the public as well as the community about uh, the helpers that serve behind that service members. It's so vital to talk about that experience um, and what they experience as well as what the service member does. So thank you so much for having me. You know, and, and I agree, it isn't often talked about, and that's why I really appreciate you agreeing to come on the show. Uh, I guess even starting out um, as a, a child of a service member, so your father didn't serve throughout your childhood. No, uh, my father, My father was a Vietnam veteran, but that was, uh, you know, six, seven years before I was born. So my father wasn't in the military when I was in, but it informed much of my childhood and even my adulthood uh, was that the same case for you that even though your father was out of the navy the military was still a part of your life 
Very much so. He, my father's still engaged with a lot of his uh, comrades, even um, after serving time. Um, a particular gentleman who I remember distinctly, I was, I think I was about, oh man, I was like in second, third grade. And I remember my dad being gone a lot. And there was this guy who would bring home with him. He called him Candyman because this guy would always come home with candy. He would kind of um, stay on a couch and my mother made sure he had food. But my mother was also a stay-at-home mom. So whenever my dad was active, if he was in San Diego for training or wherever, my mom didn't follow him. So it was definitely a different type of experience. She chose to stay home while he was in service, which was hard. (laughs) Because I repeated that same pattern. Um, but the experience from what I remember was my dad always come home with his green duffel bag and, um, always sharing what his experiences were being on a ship, showing us pictures, but I also remember missing him a lot. And my mother distinctly told me that I struggled a lot with him coming back and forth. Um, and it was hard for my teachers to kind of engage me because my dad would say, so my mom, like, how's she doing? My mom say she's really sad, even though I was busy. My mom tried to keep me engaged. But um, it was definitely hard for the teachers to really engage me uh, when my father was away. And it really kind of shaped how I look at military children now. Um, although my son was very, very young uh, when his father was going back and forth. My ex-husband was in for 24 years. <laughs> of course, I wasn't around for the total time that he was in but as a child it's very hard to kind of have a parent kind of jumping in and out at different transitions of your childhood right and I was going to ask when you said struggled with him um, leaving and then coming back I mean there's sort mm-hmm. of this idea of um, when he's not here I wanted him here but when he is here I, I don't know really what to do with that and it's almost like I'm waiting for the next shoe to drop okay, it's nice that you're here, but I know you're going to leave again. Is that accurately described? It was a detachment. Yeah? Yes. Even though I was very young, I still remember those feelings, um, which I actually struggle with later, later on in life with people coming, jumping in and out in that abandonment that's there. Um, But nonetheless, it's pathological. So for me anyway. Um, But yeah, it was very hard to see him kind of come and go. And I do remember feeling sad a lot. Um, But he was very proud, um, and my mother was very proud of him, even though she struggled with this decision of, should I have, when my father graduated um, from school, should she have gone with him, basically. And she wished she did, but at the same time, she's glad she stayed home with family because she was afraid of leaving her home state and everyone that she knew. But she also talked about a disadvantage, too, because... She didn't have the support of any other service members or being connected to a base. And I'm not sure to my to the extent of what was her awareness of what was available for her in the early 90s or what wasn't. Right. And that was the other thing that I was um, I, that, that struck me when you were talking about your childhood. You said my my teachers struggled to understand um, if you were in San Diego, the teachers would have known what to do because they, all of their military family members in and out. Right. If you're mm-hmm. Norfolk or I mean, if you were in a military community, they would have understood because it was typical. But yours was a unique situation because you weren't mm-hmm. in a military community. And same thing for your mother is she was probably the only military spouse in the neighborhood 
and didn't have that sort of understanding. So it's a I'm, I'm 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 in one culture, but I'm immersed in a different culture, and that's what you experienced even um, as a child. Yes, very much so, very much so. And even my mother now has been over twenty something years. She still goes back to, and kind of struggles with should I have, <laughs> you know, gone or not, or just kind of gotten over my fears of leaving my family and going to be with them because that actually. Re- um, kind of snowballed into a complicated situation. My father came back, um, even though from what I know of my dad, he wasn't in any combat uh, situations or anything. I know it was during the Gulf War era. So I don't know really. He doesn't talk about it much anymore. Sure. Um, but he was very proud of just uh, the pictures that he showed me even now. Um, there's still a picture in my mother's house of him in his proud uniform. Uh, <laughs> so it, that history is there, but it, it was definitely hard as a child and then experiencing it as a, as an adult, <laughs> um, it was a struggle. It really was. So then after, uh, your father got out of the Navy and he came back and, and sort of reintegrated in the family, was it, was it still a challenge? Was there a period of anticipation of, I don't really know you know, even though I know he's not in the military, he's going to go back. What were the maybe the years between when he got out of the military and then when you reengaged as a spouse? Those years, from what I remember, he ended up, um, I guess, I know he transferred some of his skills of computer science because um, I remember looking back at a lot of his old pictures and books and um, I don't know, remember what his job was, but I know it had to do with computers. He actually went into retail for 20 years um, instead. And even though the transition, he felt that it was hard for him just because he didn't have, yeah, I mean, we have a lot more resources now for veterans when they transition out, uh, but he didn't know all the pieces. So he did struggle a lot. It did complicate the marriage because they were uh, a young couple. Um, so it, it, I do remember it being very hard emotionally, um, the fighting, the arguing, mostly out of finances and trying to get my dad to be stable. It, I ever just remember the struggle of the conversations that would come out of that um, with my parents. And they were young, and it was just not the best situation for uh, children at the time. It was very dysfunctional. I mean, they ended up getting divorced not too far after that. Um, but it was still a struggle just to watch them go through it. And for me, not knowing at the time, being um, so young, not knowing all the layers to what made it complicated or what exacerbated some of their relationship dynamics or issues that they already had on top of him transitioning out and my mother not feeling engaged or that loneliness um, that she felt with him leaving and just... um, it was just it was just really complicated from what I remember. And and that's something and and I hear a little bit of that now that you know what you know as a clinician looking back on that, um, the the challenge. Because that was a transition, right? And and all transitions are, are choppy, you know, and, and 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 you know, moving from land to the sea or whatever. But anytime we transition from one thing to the other, um, it's it's turbulent by its, you know, definition. Um, but in in the family your your parents marriage did not survive that turbulence it did not and and looking back what you see now as a clinician um what do you think could have supported maybe a little bit more of that 
smoothing that transition? Well, that's a big question, right? Because when you say that, I'm thinking about my, what my experience was. Right. Um, <laughs> for my mother, I mean, for my family history in general, they were never were not big, uh, ironically, hysterically on mental health. My mother clinged a lot to her family. And um, from what I understood then, um, she relied on that a lot. Um, it, was a, it was a big part of her decision making when she decided not to go with my father was listening to um, her family. Um, I know my father's family encouraged her otherwise because they had that experience with my grandfather, my father's father. Um, but what, what really would have been helpful, I think, then for them was um, learning how to communicate. Um, my parents were very reactive to each other. Um, having that support, whether it's through, you know, having marriage and family therapy, which <laughs> probably could have happened way before they got married, before he shipped off. Um, but just having an understanding of, well, I'm mostly trying to prepare for that, uh, transition. My mother was totally taken aback with my dad's experience and his emotional numbness to things, um, and her having to carry or be two parents. It was just a mess. <laughs> it was, it was a real mess and it, be non-clinical. It, it was just a mess. It's just funny because I went through the same thing. <laughs> 20 something years later right um, i mean and and there is that cycle but i i'm thinking you know in, in as you mentioned the willingness to engage uh, mm -hmm. in, in in treatment or counseling um i've said it before on the show but um my wife and i went to marriage counseling after i returned from iraq for 15 months and mm -hmm. again after my 12-month afghanistan deployment which were were my two worst deployments um, I, I do firmly believe that had it not been for both of those, then we probably wouldn't still be married right now. Um, yeah. But having, but we both had the willingness to say this is more important. Uh, let's mm -hmm. work on it, and that helped us not have to 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 weather the transition out of the military better than mm -hmm. than maybe some others. I, I yeah, you're right. I think that education piece is so important. As a speaking as a clinician, it's so important to be able to have the education of how important it is to um, communicate and have that bond. And if you don't have the tools to have someone um, that's able to provide that at vital periods of transition for both parties and as a couple and as a family, it's, it's vital. And I just remember then um, even when talking, having conversations with my mother now, she said, I wish I would have had the tools that um, you had or that you tried. And maybe things would have been different. She did say that to me. Um, but she wasn't aware on, on top of her own family pathology of um, not addressing mental health issues. She was diagnosed with an untreated anxiety disorder um, for years. So, And my father came from a pathological history of heavy drinking and substance abuse and <laughs> self-medicating. Um, so, again, it really just goes back to education and having that. Um, support and that willingness to want to engage. Right, and and I think that uh, in and as you you had referenced there a couple different times, there are it's not just the military culture that is uh, resistant to talking about or accessing um, uh, mental health treatment. Um, you know, in in many different cultures, um, it, it's something that's treated in different ways. I've I've heard that quite a bit. Uh, oh, yes. <laughs> but then, but then you, um, so, so maybe moving forward to the timeline 
Um, sure. You were, were you considering being a clinical mental health counselor before you were married to your husband uh, in the military? Oh, yeah, How, I was already. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> just to kind of backtrack, because before my ex-husband, I was engaged to a Marine. So there is a family history <laughs> there. I was uh, engaged to a Marine for uh, two years, and we were together for seven years total. I met my ex-husband about a year and a half later. I was living in Alexandria, Virginia, and my ex-husband was stationed at Fort Belvoir. So <laughs> this was the year 2012. Um, and we started dating. We met through, um, it was like, a, I think it was like my, oh God, I can't remember the service. I blocked it out of my brain. Um, <laughs> um, okay, Cupid, there we go. And I never forget this handsome guy. Didn't even know he was in the military. Uh, had contact me. I was like, okay, we'll go on a date. On a date. And I was already still kind of still healing from my last relationship with the Marine. And we hit it off right away. And he's like, oh, yeah, I'm in the Army. I was like, okay. I knew there was something about you. Um, and at the time, he had been in for 20 years. And he was on his fourth year being stationed at Port Philbor. And he was about to transition to find out months later he was on his way to Fort Campbell because his time there was done. Um, so the first couple months dating, um, he was why he was still at Fort Belvoir. Um, I ended up getting pregnant with our first child. Um, he ended up being a stillborn um, during his deployment. So to kind of give you the timeline was, um, dated for about five months. He said, oh, well, my time is up. I'm going to go to Fort Campbell. That's the next place I'm going to go. I said, fine, you know, we'll stay in contact. To find out I was pregnant with my daughter. <laughs> my daughter, he's like, okay, are you going to keep the baby? I said, yeah, I'm going to keep the child. And um, he's like, two weeks later, ooh, I'm going to Kabul, Afghanistan. Okay. So... We, I stayed in contact with them the whole nine-month deployment. During that deployment, I lost our first child. We were talking every day, except for, I think, three weeks where he had to. Um, I think he said he was a couple times where there's some mortars that were, like, uh, throwing things at the base. And everything was shut down for whatever security reason. I couldn't talk to him at all. But we talked almost every day. Um, and that was very hard. Um, just because I, it was my first child and um, I went into early labor and had to deliver her and it was hard. I told him in May, he was May of 20, was it May of 2013? He got back from Kabul in August. Um, and it was hard because I told him on Skype that we I lost our little girl and he literally could not stop crying. Mm-hmm. Right. Um. And he, a couple of days went by and he, we would Skype and he, you could just tell he was having a hard time. He would try to work. He said, I'm having a hard time working. I'm thinking a lot about Asia. You know, um, my commander saying maybe I should come home. And I'm just thinking you're too close to coming home. <laughs> mm-hmm. Stay, mm-hmm. you know, maybe you should stick this out. Not thinking about the emotional side of it. At the time, my occupation was a medical case manager. I was not a clinician yet, but I had a master's in social work and mental health settings. So I had that background, did not have the counseling aspect yet because my, the population I was working with at the time in Washington, D.C. was HIV population, most mm-hmm. predominantly women 
um, extensive trauma, psychosocial stressors, but not direct counseling yet. Um, so it was a whirlwind because when he came back from Afghanistan that summer, we had transitions of moving in together. Um, the first couple of weeks, he just didn't seem like himself. Mind you, out of his 20 years, which I was ex- surprised at the time, it was his first combat deployment, hmm. mm-hmm. which was interesting. But I think yeah. it was because of his job. He right. was an IT guy. Um, so he really had a hard time coming back. He lived in Clarksville, Tennessee. We were still apart that whole entire, this is the tricky part. We were apart the whole time. We had never lived together, but I constantly would fly down to him all the time. Mm-hmm. Like every other week, every other month, cause I was making really good contracting money where I could do that. Um, but anyway, uh, when he came back about six months later, Got pregnant with our second child. Um, fast forward five months later, um, we got engaged and got married, and things started to go downhill from there. Just because um, my ex-husband, give you a little bit of a psychosocial background, I was his fourth wife. Um, mm. At the time, he had four children, Jane and his fifth child. Um, <laughs> So he's reflex were just all over the place. It was really the kind of kind of backtrack to kind of look at this. Later, it was a lot of the relationships I had were very much connected to my father, who was very emotionally disconnected. Mm-hmm. So there's that piece there. Um, so th- the whole thing was pretty much a whirlwind within two years. But my ex-husband to kind of backtrack with when I had my second child went through very bad postpartum depression. Living in Philadelphia, my ex-husband, was, who I was married to at the time, was still in Clarksville contemplating whether he was going to go back again. Um, because at Fort Campbell, Screaming Eagles, all they do is deploy. That's it. Right. That's yeah. all they do. Mm-hmm. So he's like, I'm going to go back. And I said, you're going to do what? I thought you were talking about retiring. He's like, I need to pay off this debt. I'm like, well, I am stressed out. I'm living with my mother. <laughs> um, there's too many people in the house. I am trying to work a full-time job and I'm falling apart. It was a lot of different dynamics going on because he was going through his own stuff. I wasn't there. I needed him to be there to help me take care of my son. We were just not connected. We had no way of knowing how each other were feeling. We would hold back a lot when we were talking on the phone. Um, so it was just a, a lot going on at that time. By the time my son's first Christmas rolled around, I could tell something was really wrong. He was totally mostly disconnected. And he told me he wanted a divorce. But we had only been married about a good seven, eight months. <laughs> so it was rough because then right. the following year, um, 2016, I'm taking deep breaths as I'm saying this. <laughs> um, he, we stopped communicating as much. Um, I ended up moving with my best, one of my best friends, which was kind of a mistake. But um, at the time, I just needed support. It was a guy who had a, a big townhouse. It's like, fine, I'm moving in because I can't stay with my mom anymore. I, I'm saving up money trying to get my own place. Told my husband to be transparent, and it just fueled the fire. Um, because to find out he was very angry that I didn't move in with him when he got back from Afghanistan. 
um, after I, we had lost our little girl and he was holding on to all that anger and his way of getting kind of lashing out was, I'm going to leave you to take care of our son. So you made this mess, you stay in it. Um, at the same time I was working, going to therapy, um, I had called TRICARE and they gave me 10 short-term sessions which wasn't enough. And um, the counselor at the time, she wasn't affiliated with the military. She was helpful, but there was still a part that she was missing. Um, and the kind of backtrack, I know I'm jumping around a lot, but my son ended up having, at what, six months, he ended up having kidney surgery. And it was right before our, no, it was right after our, his first Christmas that I, and my, we were, me and my ex-husband were just fighting a lot because he stayed with me and my mom and he was emotionally disconnected and distance. I was like, Hey, we need to go to marriage counseling. And he was just like, so against it. He did not want to talk about anything. And I remember bringing him to the marriage counselor. Um, and she was like, this is, this is just not good. He's disconnected. Sorry. One foot. He has one foot in one foot out. I was just desperate for her to see him. Um, and the whole time he did not want to talk about anything at all. It was, it, it was just, it was heartbreaking for me. Um, but I continued to push and push. Um, he flies back home and that was the same year that I filed for divorce, but it wasn't until summer 2016 that I filed. Um, and he said he wanted to divorce too, but I got tired of fighting him, um, because I, I was so angry and upset that he wasn't there and he didn't want to work things out, but to find out, <laughs> um, a couple months later, a lady contacts me on Facebook and says, Hey, uh, do you know such and such? I said, yes, that's my ex-husband. Uh, we're having a baby and I just wanted my daughter to know her siblings everything that I had went through with him and him being emotionally disconnected and everything made sense after that <laughs> in terms of why he was disconnecting and he had kind of moved on so I'm kind of giving you the short-winded version of it because there's a lot of other pieces to it but yeah right, but it's pretty bad in 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 your transparency Shar, is, is is amazing um just your ability to uh, to be honest and open about this um, is inspiring, and it's something that that um, you know maybe as as clinicians maybe we're counseled against is is uh, the disclosure, but but then the idea of um, how how authentic are we really being to ourselves um, yeah, yeah. And, and, yeah. and everyone else if we're trying mm -hmm. to pretend that we're this. Um, you know, person, people that have everything together. Oh, um, yeah. But that's, then... that's a lot of what, uh, not to cut you off, but really quickly, that's exactly why I wrote that article on LinkedIn. And it seemed to be a gateway for me to want to write more. I had come, I'm at a point in my life where I, I don't feel like hiding anymore. Um, and I felt like I started getting a lot of feedback from people saying, I've been through this too, or a lot of the military spousal groups I'm attached to on Facebook. And I'm like, you know what? I'm not the only one. Maybe me sharing this with people um, will let them know it's okay to talk about this stuff, to get it out um, and not feel judged by it. If you people judge, I'm sure they have their stories too, but whatever. 
No, and I, and in that, like you said, that that really is was the genesis that that caused you and I to connect. Um, was the the article that you wrote on LinkedIn? Um, some of the some of this came out in your article, but obviously um, some more things too. And I'll make sure that that's linked in the show notes for everyone as they can um, go back and, uh, and and take a look at that. Um, but so that was, uh, the, like you said, the beginning of your transparency. But mm-hmm. but listening to your story, and obviously you'd referenced it before, the parallels between your mother's experience and your experience mm-hmm. um, remaining. Um, deliberately remaining geographically separated in in that emotional distance. Yes, not good. Uh, Right. (laughs) On top of the fact that, yeah, go go ahead, I'm sorry. (laughs) But then the other thing that I I did here is also not only your your teachers as a child didn't understand um, what a military child is going through, um, this is another challenge, especially, again, geographically separated from those locations where, where service members are, mental health professionals are not familiar with the unique stressors and aspects of military service either. So you you went to a professional who I'm sure was a, a highly trained clinical professional, but there's cultural aspects of military, of being a military spouse that that they needed to be, that you needed her to be familiar with that she wasn't. Yeah. Oh, that definitely played a, a, a significant aspect in my um, work with her, even though she was wonderful at what she did. She was a licensed marriage and family counselor. But she, again, she's in uh, Philadelphia, not aware of his pathological background as well as his um, experience. And she only saw him for a one shot deal to see us together. And that was during a very stressful time. My son was six months getting surgery I'm at my wit's end. I'm sure my ex-husband was at, he had his own stuff. And we were both still reeling from not only the emotional distance, but the loss of our little girl. Right. That was my first baby. And that was, that would have been his uh, fifth child. But um, it, it, we never processed any of that stuff. Everything happened so fast, you know, and then being a part, it just on top of my, um, the, on top of the clinician I was working with, she really struggled with trying to understand why I was trying to push to make things work. She wanted me to kind of divorce him sooner. <laughs> uh, you know, um, so it was, it was rough. Um, and I'm just speaking as a person, not besides the, the clinician piece. One of the reasons I decided to, not only speak about it, but I wanted to learn more from a clinical standpoint about um, different treatments and um, different ways of helping the military community and not just being speaking about it from experience or academia. Um, so I started getting extra training in it and postgraduate work in military counseling at Temple, which they offer there. And to speak, it's been very actually cathartic for me. Um, a lot of times when I'm in that setting, people will, when I'm in the classes, they'll ask me questions, um, about my experience with that culture on both ends. So, um, again, I'm very happy and open to talk about it. As I said before, I'm, I'm in the midst of, uh, writing a memoir about different aspects of the military community. For me, my experience, as well as that pathological, um, history that follows if, you don't know that history, you'll definitely repeat it. Or, and if you do know that history, 
being responsible to do something about it and that's getting treatment. So, and, and that's, uh, that's excellent. I mean, very much in the same way that I, as a uh, combat veteran transitioned into being a clinician for combat veterans, um, that the unique, um, experience of a military spouse, I always say that my wife, um, uh, she deployed in a different way than I did. Um, things that, uh, there were times when I knew that I was safe. I knew, you know, I, I had immediate feedback after something went on that I hadn't, you know, sustained any damage, but my spouse, you know, my wife didn't, you know, my, my kids sort of live with the idea that my entire deployment was the first 20 minutes of saving private Ryan when I knew that wasn't the case. So, uh, from your standpoint, maybe as a clinician, uh, what do you see as unique with military spouse mental health? Um, empathy and connection. Um, the second time around, because I actually, after, I actually stopped going to the therapist for <laughs> uh, months. Things were not going very well for me in terms of me trying to um, be two parents and try to create a career for myself um, and a path on top of not having, having a non-existent military marriage long distance. Um, I met another counselor who was very much um, aware and had personal connection as well as a professional connection to the military. And it made a tremendous difference for me in terms of thinking like, oh, thank God someone understands or someone can relate. And I'm not saying that the mental health provider, any mental health provider, they don't have to have personal experience, but they have to have an understanding of the culture. It's vital to, for a military spouse or even a family member to even reach out. It's vital. I don't think without that, I wouldn't have the relationship with her that I do now. No, and I think that's very important. Um, and, and I agree. And, and I've had uh, other clinicians on the show here um, that have not been in the military, right? We don't need to have military experience, number one, because there's not enough of you and me in the in the industry, right? There's not enough um, military spouses or there's not enough uh, former service members uh, as clinicians to serve the need. Um, but it is very critical that if you are working with the veteran uh, or a military spouse, that you take the time to to get that understanding. Um, and, and so how do you see, uh, maybe in what ways could a, a counselor develop that? If um, they're interested in working with that population, taking postgraduate courses. And it's funny because there's not, <laughs> there, there's still not enough support, I don't think, for clinicians to have opportunities to gain that type of education. Um, there's some places that I know that are still reaching out. I mentioned Temple University because there's a, um, a guy there who's very much has a passion for the community. He doesn't have, um, he's never been associated with the military, but he has educational courses that he's taken or research that he's done and wanting to uh, work with the population. Um, but it does, I think, there needs to be more educational programs and opportunities for people to want to learn about the community. It does take a sense of commitment, but, you know, as a clinician, ethically, you're responsible for, 
you know, having the, not only the academia, but having the knowledge base to work with a certain culture, right? So that cultural competence piece, that's so important. Right. And, and as you said, and I, I heard um, one of my professors early on, is that it's not up to our clients to teach oh, no. us about their <laughs> culture. Um, it's, yeah. it's our responsibility to learn about their culture separate from them. So, you know, I've had clinicians that say, oh, well, well, I'll just see veterans and eventually I'll know enough about veterans <laughs> to be able to be competent. Well, what Such about those <laughs> 30 veterans in between? Right. You know, and, and so there's there's that challenge of because uh, trauma, you know, trauma is not trauma. Right. You know, it's a, um, in in the military experience is very unique. Um, in that um, there are additional challenges. And, and even as you said yourself, right, you know, it's number one um, is, is horribly challenging as it is um, to, to lose a child. Um, not, not that I've, I've talked about this very often, but uh, uh, I do have one younger sister, but I, I had another, uh, I would have had two essentially, but, uh, but my, my mother, my stepfather lost a child. And I remember that as I was probably 10, I remember that it was a horrible time in our family. Um, and so as stressful as that time is, and, and definitely was for you, the challenge on top of that, of, you know, being as a deployment, right? So it's not just losing a daughter, but it's losing a daughter while not being, somewhere and then making the conscious decision to no don't come back I have this even though I may not have it but you know I I don't want to do that the same thing with postpartum depression you experience postpartum depression that in and of itself is challenging but then add the military piece on top of that um, oh yeah it's it's you know it's exponential it's not just additive mm-hmm. on top of having an untreated anxiety disorder <laughs> So right. there's that, that pathological line to my mother. Um, she's still not treated at this time. Um, she calls where I work at the crazy house. So there you go. Uh, <laughs> but nonetheless, uh, I was diagnosed with anxiety at 21. And I think when I hit postpartum depression on top of all the other stressors in them, you know, my husband at the time being away from me exacerbated symptoms very much so um I never treated the anxiety it's like oh this you know this is whatever I didn't have the knowledge base at the time I was a bachelor's in social work uh, program my junior year I went to a neuropsychologist psychologist um to get a disability or figure out why I was struggling with testing anxiety and math <laughs> that and she diagnosed me's like oh you have GAD anxiety. I was like okay whatever not really thinking about what that meant for me um, until I hit postpartum depression and had my son. I had never been depressed before, ever. I've had anxiety, but not the level of emotional pain that I went through. It was so bad. I was about to give up my son. No one knows that but my mother. Now everyone knows, and that's fine. But I that's how bad it was. And my husband at the time, he stayed with me for three weeks. I had a C-section, which was the most horrendous thing ever in the recovery stages and still have to do everything. Still had to make sure my ex-husband was um, getting fed and everything. And he was comfortable and taking care of everyone. Not really myself at the time, which made things worse. Me feeling like he was there, but he wasn't. His mind was, 
I got to get ready to go um, to Fort Polk, Louisiana to get ready for training. Because right after Jaden was born, three weeks later, that's where he went Mm. to prepare to go back, Mm -hmm. which I was livid, Mm -hmm. livid. (laughs) You're going where? To do what? And leaving Uh, me with what? Right. Oh, no. I was like, yeah. He's like, I got to go. Um, I got to go to Fort Polk in Louisiana. We have training to do. We got to get ready to go back. I said, you just got... literally, I felt like he had just got back because he was going the year before. Um, so it was grueling rough on top of the psychosocial stressors we both had, our own pathologies of how, or the lack of insight of um, our own histories and how they were repeating themselves. Um, and just going through the motions i wish someone told me that you're going to come out on the other side of this five years later and i look back and i'm like oh thank god i i didn't stop trying to reach out to someone clinician but initially i had those thoughts of when i first went to um to treatment was is this lady gonna think i'm crazy like all those feelings that you know patients get you know um is this the right, am I supposed to be doing this? And for me and my culture, I'm an African-American woman is, is I shouldn't be telling my business to anybody. Right. And that thought process kept me, I think I talked about in an article, it literally in, in a radio interview I did a couple of weeks back, it literally kept me in an emotional prison, literally an emotional prison with that type of irrational thought process at the time. But that was also symptomatic to the postpartum depression and anxiety I was feeling on top of my husband not being there. No, and, and, and that's all, and, and like you said, is this hindsight, and, and even the hindsight of, of the cyclical nature of how our, our relationships in our childhood can impact our relationships in our adult, you know, and, and, and it's not all Freudian, but it's also not, you know, um, uh, baseless. But you said no. that that you wish someone would have told you that, you know, uh, five years later, you'd come out the other side of it. And, and we talked about this back in episode 66 about post-traumatic growth. You've gone through a lot of, of, of very uh, critical stress. Any one of those uh, incidents, uh, losing your daughter, um, you know, the postpartum depression, the, the challenges of uh, military separation, um, e- any one of those would be um, not not trauma traumatic as far as, as, you know, death and life, but, but definitely traumatic as far as uh, significant. Um, but I get the sense, um, even if you might not, is that you are infinitely stronger now um, than even you were before. Um, could oh, you speak yeah. to that a little bit? Um, sure. I, I do feel a lot stronger. I'm working with a career coach right now in terms of um, writing the, going back and writing uh a book I've never you know it's different than writing academic papers and all that stuff so this is about me and you know now that I have all the dots trying to connect them and and to go back and look at these things and share it it's been cathartic but scary <laughs> um I do feel a lot stronger but there's still periods where especially right now since everything is raw and I'm going back and looking at these things um it's at times triggering. <laughs> um, but looking back, I was just thinking, my God, I was strong then. 
I right? Was, so you, you, you weren't aware yeah. of the strength that you had then Mm-mm. until, you know, we're, we're not, we're, we're almost not aware of how far we walked until we turn back around and say, holy crap, I just, I just did that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Cause I definitely didn't feel, uh, <laughs> this is also pathological in my family. I'm the oldest child, um, oldest child. So there's that all that if we go look at Alder's theory, um, <laughs> sibling position, right, um, right. and the oldest child. And I always felt like I needed to set example for my younger siblings. I was the first person to go to college, first person to get a graduate degree. Um, and having to walk those unknown paths without having anybody behind me to say, hey, this is what you need to do. So figuring all that out, um, catapulting into um, the experiences that I had um, and coming out to the other side of it. Looking back, I, I feel strong. But at the same time, I kind of have to also question, well, what is strong? Mm, no. Yes. No. Um, for me, because I was always told, oh, you're the strong person. Even when I first had my son, that was also the reason why I had a hard time reaching out. I literally didn't reach out to a therapist for months. It took me ooh, a good five, six months for me to reach out. And mind you, I'm a clinician at the time. Right. Yeah. Physician heal thyself doesn't work. (laughs) No, no. And it's funny because if you talk about countertransference, oh, God, I could write a whole book on that. Um, Because at the time I was at an outpatient facility where I was licensed, so I could flow to any level of care. Acute, outpatient care, or subacute, which is our long-term community program for people that have psychosis, mood disorder, cognitive limitations. But then working with, with people individuals that have re- just life stressors come going to the hospital for suicide attempts and then come out they're in outpatient and they're talking about those stressors i've ran across so many women that were postpartum depression military not affiliated with the military familiar family stressors or pathologies and having to work with that while not really addressing my own crap and not realizing that i'm bleeding out so many people walk around like that not know that they're literally bleeding out emotionally anyway. Right. Now this is, uh, your, your story is amazing. And, and, and even your, uh, your candor, you know, as I'd mentioned before, the willingness to, um, to put the story out there, uh, to, as you said, perhaps there's someone who's listening to this right now who may be going through something similar, um, that then, to say, you know, I've walked that path and there is, you know, there, there's, you can get through the other side of the valley of darkness. Um, even though it feels dark, it's possible and, and this won't last forever. And that can turn someone from, because a non-ending pain without an end in sight, that's suffering. Um, mm-hmm. It can shift suffering back to just bearable pain. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it, it definitely can. Um I tell people all the time, patients, friends, whatever, just like, you know, um, a storm can, you know, hover for some time. You can go through the troubles part of the storm, but it will pass. It'll pass. And then there's sunshine, blue skies. It will not stay. But while you're going through it, you have to feel it. And for a long time, I didn't want to feel it. I would constantly self-medicate. And my family... We were big drinkers. Um, I didn't do drugs, but I couldn't keep a bottle 
in the fridge. It was gone right. <laughs> the same day. <laughs> I remember getting off work from, you know, having a long day with my Haitians. It's funny because when I look back, uh, a lot of my colleagues was like, well, how did you keep it? Like, I knew some stuff was going on, but you would keep it together. Working with other people kept me distracted. It kept me from thinking about my own hell. When five o'clock rolled around, it was back to reality of this is my life now. Feeding feeding other people while you're starving yourself is a mm-hmm. is it, it's a way to get through things, but it's not the uh, most beneficial. No, it's not sustainable. Not at so, all. So this is uh, this is well, and and I often do say it has been great, but not for the really great good feelings. This is. Uh, this is definitely some reality, uh, Shara. And, and but I, I really appreciate you opening up, and and when the book is written, um, free uh, free reign to come back on the show. I'd love to have you back on the show and 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 talk about it and and see how the see how it's gone. Uh, but until then, how can people find you if they want to hear more, um, know more, and connect with you? Sure. Um, so my LinkedIn is pretty much the hub of my social media. Uh, right now, I do have an Instagram and Facebook. They're still in the process of being revamped, so people reach me. But And I'm on Twitter. If you plug in my name, Shara, S-H-A-R-A, last name Ruffin, R-U-F as in Frank, F-I-N, I will come up. <laughs> so plug me in there. I love to connect with as many people as I can. Um, about the military and just mental health in general, I, my the re- real reason I'm wanting to share as much as I can is to let people, you are not alone. I literally disconnected from so many loved ones um and people uh once i moved to pennsylvania we had gone through um all the things i had went through and now i'm trying to reach back to people and they're like where have you been and then having to share it's like oh my god you've gone through all these things why didn't you reach out in the first place being afraid to be seen not sure what people would think um and just letting people know that it's okay i'm willing to be a listening ear now, I'm not able to practice the counseling independently again yep. until for one year. <laughs> I have to throw it out, out there. I am um, I consult with a lot of people. That's within my ethical range. <laughs> counseling, not yet for a year. So, But I do plan to go down to private practice eventually after that time. But feel free to anyone that's listening, please reach out. Even if it's just to talk, I'm more than willing to listen. Um, and hopefully give you any resources I can to get the counseling that you need. Um, or put you in the right direction to someone else that can provide you that care. Yeah, no, that's that's great, and and I appreciate that. Uh, I appreciate your uh, your strength uh, and your candor, uh, and I appreciate you coming on the show today. Thank you, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate the opportunity to just be able to get get the story out um, and to share with people in general and just have that candid conversation of mental health. Um, because as we know, know in the military community specifically, it's still stigmatized. Well, that's, that's what I know that would be a whole different podcast. <laughs> <laughs> it's many, 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 many. It's a, and ultimately it's all, uh, it's all one song, right? That's what all of oh, yes. this is about. That's pretty much the, the tune we've been playing since the beginning. But uh, uh, so definitely I would love to have you back on and see how things are a while from now. Sure. No problem. I would love to be on again whenever that opportunity arises. Thank you so much for having me. You're listening to Headspace and Timing on the Change Your POV Podcast Network. 
Back in episode 35, as part of the Veteran Mental Health Boot Camp, I talked with Josh Kramayer about how military service impacts the family. From Shara's experience as a child of a military service member to her experience as a spouse of a military service member, there's a lot of evidence that the service member is not the only one who serves. Shara's story indicates a couple of different things. First, we know that the family serves in a different way that we do, but still serve nonetheless. I know when I first started deploying in 2006, my kids were just starting elementary school. When I stopped deploying in 2013, my kids were approaching high school. That's a long time for kids, for me, for my wife, and our family as a whole. Compounding that is when a service member is geographically separated from their family, and especially if the family's not located near a military installation and all the support structure that there is whenever a veteran is deployed. Second, Shara talks about her experience as a child and how they were replicated when she became a military spouse herself. How often do we find ourselves doing the same thing our parents did, even if we didn't intend to do so? Sometimes we only realize it in hindsight, but that doesn't help the pain when we're going through it. And lastly, the one thing that I think it's important to take away from Shara's story is that even through all that hardship, she emerged stronger and more resilient. We talked briefly about post-traumatic growth near the end of the conversation, but Shara is someone who demonstrates that we can come out of a difficult situation stronger than we were before it. Now, at the beginning of the show, you heard my buddy Eddie Lazary talking about my book, Combat Vet Don't Mean Crazy. I've heard a lot of great feedback on it. Whether you're a veteran, a family member of a veteran, or someone that works with veterans in any capacity, it's a great way to understand the military mindset and find strength and stability in post-military life. I've also been telling you about some of the things we're doing to spread the word about veteran mental health and wellness, and we're trying to get this information to you as many ways as we can. I've started to develop content for your Echo device, and we've got some good stuff there and more on the way. To see them all and more to come, check out VeteranMentalHealth.com forward slash skills. Make sure to tune in next week when we talk about veteran mental health from another family member perspective, this time from the mother of a combat veteran. I have a great conversation with Stephanie Keegan, the mother of paratrooper Daniel Keegan, who returned from combat but came back with some struggles that ultimately cost him his life. You won't want to miss Stephanie's commitment to her son, her son's memory, and to veteran mental health. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss it. Until then, stay focused and be well. I'd like to thank the Change Your POV Podcast Network for hosting this show and highlighting the critical importance of veteran mental health. We want to hear from you. You can reach out to me via email at duane at veteranmentalhealth.com. You can find me at Twitter at The Counseling Vet or head on over to Facebook and look for the Change Your POV Squad. You can find the show notes for this episode and all the episodes by going to veteranmentalhealth.com or changeyourpov.com. Sign up for updates on either or both so you don't miss another episode. While you're at it, check out the other great shows on the Change Your POV podcast network. The show about remembering our military history and reviving our warrior spirit, changing hearts and minds. The show about outdoor activities that us veterans love so much, Neophyte in the Woods. The show that helps us get going at the beginning of the week, Motivation Monday. And Attack Fridays, the show that brings you actionable tips, tricks, and coachable knowledge to help you make the best of your transition. While you're checking out the other shows, drop us a review in iTunes or whatever podcast platform you're listening to. The reviews really help spread the word about what we're doing. If you're looking for the total package for all the information you need to live the life you want after leaving the military, you found it. If you know of a buddy who's looking for the same info, share it with them so they can find it too. I want to thank Doc Todd for his permission to use his track, Not Alone, from his amazing album, Combat Medicine. Doc Todd is somebody who's trying to bring veteran mental health out of the darkness and into the light, and you can get the album by going to therealdoctod.com. Check it out, because remember, veterans, you're not alone. Ever.
The struggle is real, found a piece and lost a soul Eventually my drinking, it got out of control There in darkness I roam, struggling to find home See suddenly death didn't feel so alone 22 a day, destination unknown It could have been avoided if you picked up the phone But now you're gone, so I guess all we get is the tone Nothing but bone weeds, overgrown, pushing up stones I've triumphed over enemies, co-creating enemies Broke out facilities that tried to put an end to me R.I.P. I'd rather grind in tranquility Authentic Tennessee, embrace my ability Are you looking for more ways to learn about military and veteran culture? Are you a mental health professional or public health professional without lived experience in the military but find yourself working with veterans? Are you a caregiver or a family member of a veteran? Then you might be interested in a series of books that have been released with you in mind. By going to veteranmentalhealth.com forward slash books, you can check out three books that give you an insight into veteran mental health from a combat veteran perspective. These books are a collection of short, consumable essays that discuss a wide range of topics related to mental health and wellness in post-military life. Head on over to VeteranMentalHealth.com forward slash books and check them out for yourself or follow the link in the show notes.